Y'all hit those lights for me. Thank you. The, um, this big piece of furniture in here is new, and this is something that's going to be a centerpiece for us for weeks and years, months and years to come. Uh, you'll hear more about it next week. This is Pentecost this Sunday, and uh, you'll also hear more about that next week. Um, but this is just kind of a heads up. This, what's this big thing in front of me? This thing has been built into our steps here. It is made like a brick house. You know, it, I don't see anybody laying on it or anything like that, but I think it's going to be uh, something that the Lord uses for years to come as a visual. You'll see different colors. You'll see different things on top of it each, uh, not necessarily each Sunday, but over the course of the year in conjunction with where we are as a people of God. So um, we have uh, Emily's, uh, Emily Higgins' brother built this thing for us, and it is a pretty, pretty sweet deal. So again, you'll hear more about that next week. Uh, if you would, go ahead and stand with me. Actually, let me pray first. Um, I want to pray about our time together. I've already, uh, we've sort of brought our burdens to him this morning. But I would like to spend a moment praying for a people, a Rajput people of India, 45 million strong, 0.02% of which are Christian. As far as we know, zero evangelical Christians. So they are a Hindu people. Um, and one thing that we can pray is that they would experience a bankruptcy in their many gods and, and a, a discomfort, a frustration, an emptiness uh, in their many gods and their gurus. They also go to gurus. So uh, let's pray for the Rajput people this morning and let's pray for uh, the Lord uh, that he would give us rest together as we spend this time together. Lord, we are thankful for these few minutes together. We want to lift up a specific people group uh, that is... Uh, a people group that's known to you. You know their history. You know their story. You know every single person in this 45 million strong people group. Lord, we know that you number their days. We know that you know the number of hairs on their heads. You know their fears, their dreams, their anxieties. You know where they're placing their trust. Lord, we are asking you as the authority, the official authority on this people to draw them to you. Lord, we are asking you to open the eyes of their hearts collectively that people would come to know you, that they would feel and sense and experience a bankruptcy in the many gods of Hinduism, Lord, that they would uh, experience a frustration and an emptiness and a hopelessness in the words and encouragement of their gurus. And Lord, that that would be coupled to people going and speaking and worshiping and being a sweet aroma in a dark place. Lord, we pray that you would make people uncomfortable Staying, and that people would have to go and share the good news in the far corners among the Rajput people. Lord, also we want to pray that you would just guide us in these next few minutes uh, to enter your presence and give us rest. We pray for our brothers and sisters, the other churches in our community this morning collectively. Lord, we pray for rest for all of us. We pray that this would be a people in this community that have time for one another, that have time to, to eat together, and time to celebrate together, time to talk with one another, time to help people, time to care for orphans and widows and be about pure and undefiled religion. Lord, we pray collectively for the brothers and sisters and the other churches in our community together corporately. Lord, we pray that we would be a people that are walking at three miles an hour like our Lord did. Lord, we pray that this sermon will bless uh, this people, that it will be a nice... Uh, compliment to last Sunday's investment in this topic, Lord, and we pray that we're not collecting facts this morning. We're thankful that we are standing before and enjoying a living Lord. This is not a fact collection. We're thankful we're not presenting a bunch of just truths and ideas. 
We're thankful that together this morning we are experiencing a living being. Lord, we invite him into our presence already in song and fellowship this morning. We invite him into our presence right now in sermon. We pray these things in Christ's precious name. Amen. Did this thing go off? Am I still on? Okay. Y'all stand if you would for the reading of God's word. From Exodus chapter 20, beginning in verse 8. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work. But the seventh day is a Sabbath day to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter, your male servant, your female servant, or your livestock, or the sojourner who is within your gates. For in six days the Lord made the heaven and earth, the sea and all that's in them, and rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. God, speak to us from these particular words and those that help us make sense of them. Pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. Y'all can be seated. We're in a series, uh, it's called God and His People series. We're looking at the story of the Exodus and trying to make sense of what God was doing with the people then. A real people that we know and believe as we read those stories, we read those pages, that it's a real people that God's doing real things to and in and among and through. One of the dangers for us is to read these ancient stories and still believe in a very real God, but to think that now we're just walking in symbol. Now we're just walking in this big fat metaphor where the real stuff was back there and now it's all shady and symbolic and not real. One of the points of this God and his people series is that God moved with his people then in a very real way, real people with real stuff, and now he continues to move with a real people in a very real way in real stuff. And what that looks like over the, these past weeks, some of the things that we've gathered up is that God, first of all, delivered his people from slavery way back then, 3,500 years ago, and he's delivered us from slavery, slavery to sin and death through the person and work of Christ. Amen? Man, yes, that's a great place to start. That wasn't the very beginning of the series, but it was right toward the front. We also found that right after that, he baptized his people, a nice place for baptism to fit in. He washed his people through the Red Sea, delivered them through the watery ordeal. Right after that, he fed his people. It was a Sunday almost completely devoted to the meaning and the importance of the Lord's Supper. And then this last Sunday and this Sunday, we're dealing with his, him giving his people rest. The passage that we considered last Sunday and where we started this morning is the fourth commandment where God gives his law to his people. Uh, relative to the other nine commandments, this particular commandment gets quite a bit of airtime. If you were looking at that page with me in Exodus 20, you can see relative to the others, in fact, it gets the most airtime. We learned last week that it's actually the sign of the Mosaic covenant. Like Noah had a sign in his covenant called a rainbow, the Sabbath is the sign of Moses' covenant. It is a very important topic a very important issue. It's worth a couple of Sunday investment. It comes up over and over and over again in our Bibles, Old Testament and New. So I think it's time well spent between last Sunday and this Sunday. Last Sunday, verse 8, really the first passage in that commandment was really kind of home base for us, of sort of a place to start. The Sabbath we found last week is the last day of the week. It's the last day of the Hebrew week. It starts a Friday at uh, dusk and goes through Saturday evening. So Friday evening to Saturday evening. The charge there in the command was to remember it, not recollect it. 
but to remember it, meaning to observe it, to actually practice it, to actually move in it and celebrate it like you would might remember an anniversary. Hopefully you're doing more than recollecting. We also found last week that the purpose of that is, or how we're doing it, is by setting it apart as holy. God did that. He set it apart as holy. In some ways, what we're doing when we observe the Sabbath or when they are observing, I want to be very clear about the then and now, as they are observing Sabbath, as they are setting it apart, by setting it apart. It's a nice way to look at it. They're keeping it holy by keeping it holy and set apart. How do they do that? First of all, don't do any work. Verse 10 is very clear. Don't do any work. Don't have any of your servants, any of your people, even, even your critters give them the day off. And added to that, in verse 11, rest. In verse 10, don't do any work. In verse 11, rest. And the reason for all that, God says, because I rested. You don't do any work, and you rest because God rested. Last week, I introduced two questions. The first question, as we sort of step back from this and go, okay, we're going to begin to kind of make sense of this, what this might have to do with us 3,500 years later. We know we're not in this Mosaic covenant anymore. We're in a different, different covenant now. So what do we do with this thing? Is it just old and archaic, or is there something for us? So a couple of those questions that we began to consider is, first of all, what constitutes work? We spent about 10 seconds on this. And we agreed then, as I hope we can agree this morning, we're not going to touch that with a 10-foot Pharisee. Man, that's a complicated question, boy, and it got them in all kinds of mess, all kinds of issues. Jesus even said about them, they tie up heavy burdens, hard to bear, and they lay them on people's shoulders. That's not the point of the question, or that's not the better question. The question is not, the best question is not what constitutes work. The better question is what constitutes Sabbath rest? So last week we considered that question first in terms of Sabbath rest in terms of principle. Last week we considered together very simply that it is a gift from a good God uniquely given to his people. In principle, it is a good God taking care of and blessing his people in Sabbath rest. So this Sunday, we're going to ask and answer that question again. What constitutes Sabbath rest, but this Sunday in terms of practice? This Sunday is the stickier Sunday. Okay, the principle was kind of, uh, it, it wasn't easy, but it's not as sticky and dangerous. This is the dangerous Sunday. You feeling the danger, anybody? There's danger in the room this morning of how we land the plane on this Sabbath and practice. And I believe that we have good footing because we're going to go right from his word. The New Testament is a great place to start. Okay? Christ entered the scene then. Okay? He's promised throughout the Old Testament. We see signs and windows and, and shadows of him, and then the substance shows up in the New Testament. So the New, New Testament is a great place for us to go. That's where we're going to be spending about 99% of our morning. Um, it's where he enters the story. He'd been promised for ages. And now he steps in, and we're going to try and figure out the Sabbath in light of where he steps into the picture. It's mentioned 61 times in the New Testament, the Sabbath. I quizzed my family on this yesterday. I want to know if they, if they had any idea of how many times and where. And uh, they did pretty good. Uh, 61 times, I think Evan said 50 to 60, so that was pretty close. 61 times in the New Testament, 50 of those are in the Gospels. Nine of them are in the book of Acts. 
in the, in the book of Acts, they're mentioned sort of as a, a part of a narrative. And on the Sabbath, they did this. Okay? So there's no real key teachings in those moments directly or in those passages in the, in the book of Acts. And then they're mentioned two times in the rest of the entire New Testament. The Sabbath is. Mentioned two times specifically. It's alluded to. It's all but said in a few other places. Okay? So we have something to work with but it, we have to be very careful. Here are the other two references. That I'm a, we're going to spend some time on them this morning. If you'd like to kind of jot in your notes or you know, turn in your Bible to have these ready, Colossians 2 is one of those passages. Hebrews 4 is another passage. And Mark chapter 2 is a specific gospel reference that we're going to look at here in a moment. The Colossians passage, you, if you know the, the context of the book of Colossians, it's written to the uh, Gentile church. Colossa, okay? And this passage actually says, Therefore let no one pass judgment on you, you Gentiles, in questions of food and drink or with regard to a festival or a new moon or a Sabbath. That's one of the two references. Okay, the other reference is in Hebrews chapter 4, verse 9. says, So then there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. We're going to spend a few minutes on both of these passages uh, here in these next few minutes. But... What, one of the things that I think we need to consider is the New Testament, especially in the letters to all these churches, there's near silence. This thing that saturates the Old Testament, this thing that's so much a part of the story of why they even ended in exile, is almost near, nearly silent in the letters to the churches. There are no rebukes to the churches for you're not doing a good job following the Sabbath. There's not even a rebuke. You're not doing a good job following the Lord's day, recognizing the Lord's day. There's not a passage. You know, you've got these letters that are written to the churches in Revelation. There's seven letters. These are real churches in the, in the, the, the first century A.D., Roman Empire. And none of them, no mention of you're doing a good job following the Sabbath. You're doing a good job enforcing the Sabbath. You're not profaning it. No reference it's near silence, so we have to be really careful about how we move forward. But first of all, we can start as a nice little uh, starting point in Mark chapter 2. I mentioned this as one of those three passages, so you can turn there if you would. Mark chapter 2. Danger. You want to do a good job with danger. So let's start right here in Mark chapter 2, beginning in verse 23. One Sabbath he was going through the grain fields, and as they made their way, his disciples began to pluck heads of grain. Remember all those ings that we read last week? Gleaning, gathering, harvesting. Was one, that's one of those, those Sabbath-breaking rules. Jesus is breaking us one of the Pharisees' Sabbath-breaking rules right here. And the Pharisees were saying to him, Look, why are they doing what is not lawful on the Sabbath? See, there it is. And he said to them, Have you never read what David did when he was in need and was hungry, he and those who were with him, how he entered the house of God in the time of Abiathar, the priest, the high priest, and ate the bread of the presence, which is not lawful for any but the priest to eat, and also gave it to those who are with him. And he said to them, The Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. So the Son of Man is Lord, even of the Sabbath. For me in this study of the Sabbath, that's been sort of a central 
passage. I think it sort of presents this thought of this living truth or this living principle, potentially a living practice behind this notion of the Sabbath, where he says, I am Lord of the Sabbath. He didn't say I was Lord of the Sabbath, or I'm Lord of this old ancient thing that has no more relevance for the people of God anymore. And he even makes the point to say, the Sabbath was made for man. So at least in my approach, there's this thought that this thing is not old news. There's some living thing. Even though there's silence in the letters, there must be some living thing, some important thing that we can glean here that we can hold fast to in the notion that Sabbath was made for man and Jesus is, present tense, Lord of the Sabbath. This was an interesting little passage I I found in, in studying the Sabbath this week. Just kind of a little side note. It says in Luke chapter 4, verse 16, it says, He came to Nazareth, speaking of Jesus, where he had been brought up, and as was his custom, he went to the synagogue on the Sabbath day, and he stood up to read. It was his custom to observe the Sabbath. We're not talking about a Lord that says, I'm Lord of the Sabbath, I'm showing up now, and now the Sabbath just goes out the window. He continued to observe the Sabbath. And interesting note, Paul, even after his Damascus Road experience, even after he's following Christ, continued to observe the Sabbath days. Acts chapter 17 said he showed up three Sabbath days in a row, as was his custom to appeal to the Jews and to reason with the Jews over the person of Christ. Apparently, these followers of Christ and the Lord himself, there was a custom here of some living principle or some living reality. And then yet the rest of the New Testament is largely silent. No rebukes for failure to observe it. If there's anything, there may be rebukes for enforcing it. Do you understand why today could be really complicated and and dangerous? Danger? Man, we're right on the edge of really getting something really right or potentially messing something up really bad. Jesus observed it. We know that. It was his custom. Paul, a follower of Christ, observed it as was his custom. Okay, so let's go to Colossians. Colossians and Hebrews 4 are going to be money for us. Man, they are going to blow this thing wide open. So I'm excited about these two passages. Um, Man, they are dear I think on this particular morning, especially considering what we're talking about, hopefully they're going to unlock um, this thing for all of us. Okay? The passage I read just now, Colossians chapter 2, verse 16, Therefore let no one pass judgment on you in questions of food and drink or with regard to festival or new moon or Sabbath. We're going to read that now in context. Man, we just parachuted in there. I just snagged that thing out because it had one word in there that we wanted to consider Sabbath. But let's read it together in context. Why don't we? You game? All right, everybody with me? Good. All right, let's look back at chapter 2, beginning in verse 6. We're going to throw this thing down in context. Okay. Therefore, as you received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him. Okay, this is a letter. It's written by Paul to a bunch of Gentile followers of Christ. Listen to what he says. Notice his references to in Christ, or in him in this passage, or in in the passage I'm reading. Okay, you ready? Therefore, as you receive Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him, rooted and built up in him, and established 
in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy or empty deceit, according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world, and not according to Christ. Man, there's all kind of dangers mentioned in that one passage. For in him, the fullness of deity dwells boldly, bodily. We're speaking about Christ. In him, the fullness of deity dwells bodily. And you have been filled in him who is the head of all rule and authority. In him also you were circumcised with a circumcision made without hands by putting off the body of flesh and by putting on or by, by the circumcision of Christ, having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through faith in the powerful working of God who raised him from the dead and you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh God made alive together with him having forgiven us all our trespasses man I know this is this is hard but just stick with me stick with me by canceling the record of death that stood against us with its legal demands this he set aside nailing it to the cross he's sharing the gospel here with a saturation of in him in him in him, through him, by him. It's all about Christ here from the very first verse. Walk in Christ Jesus our Lord. Gentiles, you bunch of Gentiles reading this passage 2,000 years ago in Colossa. He disarmed rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. You hear the Christ-centric point of that passage? Now let's read that verse in context. Therefore, let no one pass judgment on you in questions of food and drink or with regard to festival or new moon or Sabbath. These things are but shadow. And Christ is the substance. These things, he's speaking of ceremonial food laws and drink laws, things that you could eat and couldn't drink and couldn't touch. He's speaking of those ceremonial laws in this questions of food and drink and these questions of how you practice a festival or a new moon or a Sabbath, he says, these are a shadow but of the things to come, and they are a shadow of the substance that belongs to and is and, frankly, has already come, Christ. And he's saying all those things were shadow. Christ is the substance. The Sabbath in context, reading this passage as a whole, is grouped with festivals and new moons and the things that you can eat or can't eat, and they appear judgment-exempt. They appear non-enforceable. They appear off-limits for these Gentile believers. Are you confused yet? You hear all this emphasis before? Observe. Jesus himself it was his custom, Paul's custom. And then yet Paul, the very guy who observed it, is writing to a church full of Gentiles and saying, let no one enforce this on you. Man, we're talking about all kinds of complicated. Whether or not you eat certain foods and drink certain drinks or celebrate certain festivals or observe certain days appears to have been replaced with the substance that belongs to and is Christ. The sign of the Mosaic Covenant was the Sabbath. But they're not under the Mosaic Covenant anymore, and neither are you. Man, that's something we can be glad about, something we can be thankful for. Followers of Christ are no longer obligated to observe the Mosaic Covenant dietary laws and festivals and new moons and Sabbaths. We're not obligated 
nor was the guy who observed him in Acts chapter, chapter 17, verse 2, three Sabbaths in a row, Paul. He wasn't obligated either. He did it anyway. He wasn't obligated because those were but shadows of what we have, present tense, in Christ. Anyone who wants to enforce Sabbath observance better not eat a pork po' boy. <laughs> you better stay away from fried catfish. Man, that's off limits. I'm glad I'm a Gentile. I love me some catfish. They're bottom feeders. They're off limits. You're going to enforce the Sabbath? You better not eat catfish. You better not eat your steak rare. Anybody else in here bleeding? Mooing? Anybody like a mooing? You better not do that anymore if you're going to observe the Sabbath because those things go together. Yeah, but thankfully, the Gentiles are not obligated to that. And neither, frankly, are Jews who are in Christ. Paul wasn't obligated. He continued to observe those days and count those days as important for him in faith. But they were but shadow of the substance that is Christ. They were a day of rest that for us has been replaced with a person of rest. Let's say that again because, man, that's the central point of the morning. A day of rest has been replaced. Because somebody totally coughed right when I made the point. And it was, I think it was you, Becca. Yeah, okay. It's okay if you did. It's okay. It's my daughter-in-law. I can do that. The day of rest has been replaced with a person of rest. Man, that's going to travel for you if you get that. That's going to travel for you. Turn to Hebrews chapter 4. Hebrews chapter 4. Really, you can say Hebrews chapter 3. There's a few different passages here I'm going to try and sort of glean. I mean, it, that this is a little bit of a, a, a tricky development, so I don't want to spend, uh, I don't want to get bogged down in it. I want to draw out the major point, okay, which is a little tricky, okay? Hebrews chapter 3, beginning in verse 7. Therefore, as the Holy Spirit says, today if you hear his voice. Okay, pay attention to that word, today. All right, if you're an underliner, even underline in your Bible. Okay, or put out to the note, note in the margin on your side. Today. Therefore, as the Holy Spirit says, today if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the day of rebellion, on the day of testing in the wilderness. The point of the sermon from the Hebrews preacher to this Hebrew church in Rome, okay, in some ways a messianic Jewish church, okay, is to keep believing, keep holding fast to Christ. Don't fall away from Christ. Stay on the train is a, a phrase that we used many years ago. Don't harden your hearts as, as in the day of rebellion like your forefathers did on the day of testing in the wilderness where your fathers put me to the test and saw my works for 40 years. Therefore, I was pro provoked with that generation and said, they always go astray in their heart. They've not known my ways. As I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. See some key words there? Today and then rest. Take care, brothers, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart leading you to fall away from the living God, but exhort one another every day as long as it's called today. Okay, this church, this Jews, this group of Jews that have converted to Christianity in Rome, consider every day is important. Consider every day as worth believing. Consider every single day as worth trusting Christ. 
That's what's going to come out of this passage. Stick with me. Exhort one another every day, as long as it's called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. And here he is. For we've come to share in Christ, if indeed we hold our original confidence firm to the end. Okay, that's a, you see this, this little development beginning to emerge. It's an everyday appeal to share in Christ while it's called today. While it's called today. You understand there's an implied de-emphasis there in Sabbath day. Okay, you see that? Especially to a Jewish church. A bunch of Jews must be looking around going, what? He, he's not talking about the Sabbath. He's talking about every day. And he's talking about Christ in the same conversation. And he's talking about this conversation of rest. They got all the clues. Do we? Can we try and gather these things up? I know it's not easy. Let's pick up in chapter 4, verse 4. For he has somewhere spoken of the seventh day in this way. The Hebrews preacher is so funny. He cracks me up. Like he doesn't know. We're talking Exodus 20. Did you forget? He must be getting old. Like he just couldn't remember. Oh, yeah, it's in Exodus 20. I think that's funny. I don't know why y'all think that's funny. He was somewhere spoken of the seventh day in this way. We're talking about Exodus 20, buddy. Come on, hang in there. And God rested on the seventh day from all his works. And again, in this passage, he said, they shall not enter my rest. See, he's talking about the Sabbath conversation here. Very much so. Since therefore it remains for some to enter it, and those who formerly received the good news failed to enter because of disobedience, again he appoints a certain day, and it's called today. Isn't that good? Somebody echoed that. Thank you. Somebody said, that little kid said today. We said all, all of us today. Today. Yes. He appoints a certain day today, saying through David so long afterward, in the words already quoted, today if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. For if Joshua had given them rest when they entered the land that was promised to them, God would not have spoken of another day later on. That was not really truly their rest. Their rest was coming, and we have it. We have found it in large part. There's still a rest that remains for us, this eternal rest in this new heavens and new earth. But look at the next verse. So then there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God, for whoever has entered God's rest has also rested from his works as God did also from his. And there's a connection to the whole fact that God rested on the seventh day in that. God rested as a little shadow and a foretaste of all the rest that we'll find when God the Son shows up and accomplishes the work that we couldn't accomplish. One of the first visuals we have of Jesus in the book of Hebrews is seated because the work is done. We're not a room full of people that have to figure out all the works we have to do to get saved, to go be with the Father. Thank goodness the work has been done, and He sat down at the Father's right hand. And we enter His rest. Man, it says God's rest right here. Whoever has entered God's rest, you could put a.k.a. Jesus, has rested from His works as God did from His. So let us, therefore... Strive to enter that rest so that no one may fall by the same sort of disobedience. Man, that is some seriously rich, rich context. We're not talking about a day anymore, people. We're talking about a person, the person of Christ. 
We're not talking about one day where we rest and put everything down. We're talking about every day, whatever we're doing, we rest in Christ. Man, he is the substance, Paul said to the Colossian church. He is the substance of which the Sabbath was only a shadow, but an important, helpful shadow. Christ is our Sabbath rest. Sabbath was made for man, and Jesus is Lord of it because he is it. He's indeed Lord of it because he is our Sabbath rest. Which day? Today. And tomorrow. And Thursday. And Saturday when you have that thing you got to go do. And then Monday when you have that big meeting that you're concerned about. You rest in him that day too. Man, I, does that minister to y'all? Do y'all realize what rest we have just right here, right here in front of us while it's still called today? So how then can we apply the Sabbath, these Sabbath truths in practice? Right? We still have kind of talked about this thing that's out here, right? I mean, how do we rest in Christ as the people of God in busy 2021? I mean, I know you're pining for that, right? I hope you are. Okay, so here's some things that we can glean. All right, just from last week and this week, here's some things that we can draw out. First of all, Sabbath rest isn't about being still. Sabbath rest isn't about being still. I found an article um, that a guy, uh, it's a, a TED Talk article, and he wrote a book that I guess like a TED Talk book. I didn't know there were TED Talk books, but there is one. There, there are those. This guy's name is Pico Iyer. And he wrote a book that's called The Art of Stillness, Adventures in Going Nowhere. Sounds exciting, doesn't it? Here's some excerpts from it. They're good. This is really actually pretty uh, compelling. Okay? I like good quotes, and here's some good quotes, and even in his first paragraph. The idea of going nowhere is, a un is as universal as the law of gravity. That's why wise souls from every tradition have spoken of it. All the unhappiness of men the 17th century French mathematician and philosopher Blaise Pascal famously noted, all the unhappiness of men arises from one simple fact. They cannot sit quietly in their chamber. It's good, isn't it? I like that. Kind of quaint. After Admiral Richard Byrd spent nearly five months alone in a shack in the Antarctic, in temperatures that sank to, sank to 70 degrees below zero, he emerged convinced that half the confusion of the world comes from not knowing how little we need. Isn't that good? I, I love good quotes. Y'all like those? Those are good quotes. I think mean, here's a good one. He said, uh, after living in Kyoto, he lived in Kyoto, Japan. I think that's in, in Japan. But that they, there's apparently a saying in Kyoto, Japan, don't just do something, sit there. Isn't that good? Don't just do something, sit there. I like, I like it's kind of a little play, you know. I like that. It's good. That travels. And something's stirring about that. Yeah, I like that. He goes on to say, The days of Pascal and even Admiral Byrd seem positively tranquil by today's standards. The amount of data humanity will collect while you're reading The Art of Stillness, his TED Talk book, is five times greater than the amount that exists in the entire Library of Congress. The amount of data that humanity will collect is five times greater than the, all that exists in the Library of Congress in the time that it will take you to read a book. 
anyone reading it will take in as much information today as Shakespeare took in over his lifetime. Man, is there any wonder why people aren't writing like Shakespeare anymore? We're inundated. Information, data. Man, that's, that's crazy. Listen to this. Researchers in a new field called the field of interruption sciences. That sounds really interesting. Is anybody like, ooh, I want to look that up. The field of interruption science have found that it takes an average of 25 minutes to recover from a phone call. <laughs> what? 25 minutes? He goes on to say, we're getting those phone calls 11, every 11 minutes. You add in texts in there, or snaps, or what, snaps, is that what you call them, or tweets, or whatever, I don't know. Updates. Man, we're, we're never caught up. I, I, I mean, I like where this guy's going, don't you? He's on to something. Man, I, uh, Pico, I, I, like, I like where you're going, Pico. He says, it's easy to feel as if we're standing two inches away from a huge canvas that's noisy and crowded and changing with every microsecond. It's only by stepping farther back and standing still that we can begin to see what that canvas, which is our life, really means and to take in the larger picture. Man, I like where this guy's going. I hope that you are too. Man, I think he's onto something because it's so crazy, all that data. He says, the need for an empty space, a pause, is something we've all felt in our bones. It's the rest in a piece of music that gives it its resonance and shape. That's kind of cool. He's smart, guys. I like those kind of images. So for him, he keeps what he calls a secular Sabbath. A secular Sabbath where he does nothing for a while. Man, and that's blowing up like wildfire. Google, all kinds of businesses are having this time where their people are set aside to go, go do nothing. So you can come back and be more productive. He said, whenever I finally force myself away from my desk for a day, of course, I find the more time I spend away from my work, the better my work will then be. Some people, if they can afford it, try to acquire a, a place in the country or a second home. I've always thought it easier to make a second house in the week, especially if, like most of us, you lack the funds for expensive real estate. A house in the week, isn't that a great image? I love that. This is what the principle of Sabbath enshrines. He even references the Sabbath. He says, it is as Abraham Joshua Heschel, the great Jewish theologian of the last century, had it, a cathedral in time rather than in space. Isn't that, that's so compelling. A cathedral in time, I love the sound of that. For busy people, for you, for me, a cathedral in time, a, 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 a house away in the week. Man, that is really beautiful. Without an agenda, Okay, he says that the one day a week we take off becomes a vast empty, being the key word, empty space through which we can wander without agenda as through the light-filled passages of Notre Dame. A retreat house that ensures we'll have something bright and purposeful to carry back into the other six days of the week. While compelling, while interesting, while beautiful, I love the wording, I love the imagery it misses what Sabbath rest is for the people of God. It's not time filled 
with nothing just so we're more productive when we get back to work. That's missing the point of Sabbath rest altogether. Is there something wrong with what Google might be doing? Absolutely not. Is there something wrong with some measure that you might take so that you're more productive at your work? Absolutely not. Man, knock yourself out. Have some times where you do nothing. But don't call that Sabbath rest because Sabbath rest is not doing nothing. That's the first thing. Sabbath rest also is not about physical rest. Sabbath rest is not about physical rest. In preparing for last week, man, oftentimes a lot of my sermon material and thoughts end up on the cutting room floor. I mean, piles, and I'm talking metaphorically. A lot of stuff just get, never makes it to here. Otherwise, sermons would go back to being an hour plus. But one of the passages I considered last week was in the book of Nehemiah. There's an interesting development about Sabbath in the book of Nehemiah. Nehemiah is a book that's written about the restoration to the land. They've been in exile in Babylon. They're being restored to the land, and Nehemiah is overseeing the work of building the wall. And Nehemiah is also encouraging the notion of rediscovering the Mosaic laws. Okay, rediscovering the festivals and the Sabbaths and all those things that they profaned that landed them in Babylon. Man, this guy was a leader. He's not just a construction guy. Let's just build that wall. He's thinking big picture. Let's rediscover what God commanded his people back at Mount Sinai. Okay, and he gave some very specific instructions about the Sabbath, which is also really something to kind of think about. He's enforcing the observance of the Sabbath day for people who are building a wall for their security. Don't work on the wall that's going to protect you and observe the Sabbath instead. Man, that, that'll kind of reframe for you maybe the notion of what's fair game to set aside for Sabbath rest, like safety. Even the commandment in the very first place was don't go out and gather food and we can get all kind of crazy when we start thinking about things that might step in the way of sabbath rest and we get real flexible and in this case nehemiah is saying stop building the wall observe sabbath rest and what he coupled with that i'll share the passage with you and i, I don't want to go there for sake of time this morning nehemiah chapter 13 verses 15 through 22 you can jot those down and i'm going to sort of summarize it for you he encouraged first of all the neighbors were coming into Jerusalem. And I'm talking Canaanite-type neighbors. Tyrians, I can't remember, some other Irians, I think. They're coming into town and they're selling stuff on the Sabbath day. And Nehemiah is hacked. He said, they did that maybe once or twice. No, he said that they did that maybe two or three times after I told them not to do it again. But then I threatened to lay hands on them. Nehemiah's no joke, man. That guy's got lead in his pencil. Boy, he's going he to put some against somebody's head if they're profaning the Sabbath. And if they're causing the people of God to stumble by bringing their commercial wares into the city on the Sabbath day. So you know what he did? He posted guards on the gates on the Sabbath day to keep the temptation out of town so that his people would not have the, even the opportunity to stumble. And he was on patrol He's on patrol looking for the Tyrians. Boy, where are you? Okay, I'm going to lay hands on you, buddy, if you mess with my people on the day where they're supposed to be resting in our God. 
And here's what's interesting about this thought. It's not just about physical rest because Nehemiah is working on the Sabbath day. His guards at the gates, who were Levites, by the way, were working as well. They're working and protecting the people of God so that they can rest. Man, this reframes a lot for me because I work most Sundays. Again, I told you, we're not going to call, or I alluded to this, we're not going to call Sunday the Sabbath day. Okay? But there's a lot that happens, you're going to see here in a moment, on the day that we gather. But I got, at the end of the day, I'm exhausted. And some of you I know are serving in so many different ways, back here, up here, over here, over there. You go home exhausted, feeling like, I didn't find any Sabbath rest. Yes, you did. You absolutely did. Sabbath rest isn't about doing nothing. It's not about being idle, and it's not about finding some physical rest. You might be completely spent. I, heard a, I read a great write-up from a mom who's sort of coming back into life after COVID. Okay? Coming back into church life, I should say. And the drain that she described at and in a worship service in dealing with her children was palpable. You're like, I'm not finding any rest. She didn't say that, but you might have that feeling. In fact, she said the contrary. She said there's something holy taking place in that moment that's worth the energy. What she described is she's finding rest in that moment despite the calorie burn despite the attention distraction, despite all the effort. Sabbath rest isn't about doing nothing. It might be for some about guarding the gate. It might be for some about being on patrol and doing the best that you can to help the people of God find rest. Man, some really work-focused things happened in the Gospels on the Sabbath. Jesus healed Simon Peter's mother. Jesus healed a man with a withered hand. Jesus healed a man born blind. Jesus healed a crippled woman. Jesus healed a man with dropsy. Jesus drove out an evil spirit. And Jesus healed a lame man by the pool of Bethesda. The work that he's doing is restorative and life-giving. So there's all kinds of work that takes place while you're finding Sabbath rest. And it's life-giving. And it's people-protecting. And it's helping the people of God find rest while serving. So Sabbath rest isn't about being still. Sabbath rest isn't about physical rest. And third, Sabbath rest is not found alone. Sabbath rest is not found alone. The law in the very first place when it was given to the people of God at Sinai was given to the people of God. Let's start right there. It was given to the people of God. It's not, okay, here's your each, your individual memor- or moral, moral code. I'm getting stuck on moral. Your individual moral code to take home and to obey while you go about your week. Are there certain, some, some horizontal applications in the, in the Ten Commandments? Absolutely, the second half. But the first half especially, 
is a very corporate venture. You together find Sabbath rest. Don't you on just one particular day, starting in the evening and then going till the next evening, get some rest on your own as families or individuals. Notice that. You together on a day that I'm going to nail down, you together observe Sabbath rest. Sabbath is found together. It's not found alone. Here's an interesting reference I found in the book of Isaiah in regards to the Sabbath. Listen to how he describes the Sabbath practice or this encouragement, this, this uh, uh, challenge. If you turn back your foot from the Sabbath, from doing your pleasure on my holy day, and call the Sabbath a delight and the holy day of the Lord honor, honorable, did you hear that? Turning, uh, going, uh, if you turn back your foot from the Sabbath, from doing your own pleasure on my holy day, from doing your own thing, if you honor it, not going your own ways or seeking your own pleasure or talking idly, then you together shall take delight in the Lord and I will make you ride on the heights of the earth. I will feed you with the heritage of Jacob your father for the mouth of the Lord is spoken. This isn't an individual activity. Sabbath is very much a corporate, together kind of thing. Not going your own way, not seeking your own pleasure. You collectively will take delight in the Lord. I will make you collectively ride on the heights of the earth. Sabbath rest is not found alone. There's some things you can't do alone. Water ski. You can jet ski. Okay, somebody wants to get technical, but water skiing, like real water skiing. You can't do that alone. Um, you can't skydive alone. Somebody got to fly the plane, right? You can't do it completely by yourself. You can't seesaw alone. <laughs> right? You can't square dance alone. You can dance. You can do all the moves, but you're just weird. You try to do that alone. You might be weird if you're square dancing in general. I'm just kidding. Some of y'all are probably square dance. I just probably got in trouble. All you square dancers, knock yourself out. Things you shouldn't do alone. You shouldn't put on sunscreen alone. <laughs> right? You seen the guy at the beach? He's got a handprint on his back. He did that by himself. Poor guy. You should have asked somebody to help him. You shouldn't grieve alone. You shouldn't grieve alone. You shouldn't deal with mental health issues alone. And you shouldn't Sabbath alone, because you can't. You find Sabbath rest with God's people. Your time alone with the Lord and time of meditation and prayer, time of reading and prayer and study, man, that is a beautiful thing. That is a beautiful thing. That is highly, highly encouraged. But I'm urging you to distinguish between that and what happens together with the people of God. They're different. They're different. Sabbath rest is different from personal, individual meditation. Last place I'm going to have you turn is in Hebrews chapter 10. I want you to see this. Hebrews chapter 10. Y'all are doing good. You understand how, how, how dangerous this is. And you might still have some questions in your head, but wait a second. 
where are we going with this? Are we going to land officially somewhere? Still kind of batting around it, all around the outside of it. I might stay all the way around it. I don't know. We'll see. But this, well, I think, will give some real definite shape, this passage I'm about to read. It's in the book of Hebrews. It's in the very same sermon okay, that we considered earlier that addressed that Christ is our Sabbath rest. When? Today. Okay, every day. Same letter. Okay? And in chapter 10, verse 19, it says, Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, okay, he's referring to what is accomplished for them, what Christ has accomplished by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain that is through his flesh, through his cross, through all that he's accomplished for us, since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near. Let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Here's another, let us, let us together hold fast. Let us together hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering for he who promised is faithful. Oh, here's, oh, here's another one. And let us consider how to stir one another up to love and good works not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. Let us draw near. Let us hold fast. Let us consider how to stir one another up to love and good works. You might wonder what that looks like. I would just encourage you to maybe look around the room Look at your watch. If you have a calendar on your phone, look at today and look around the room and realize that's what we're doing right now. That's what we're doing. We're drawing near. We're holding fast. We're stirring up one another to love and good works. We're not neglecting to meet together. We're right here. If you want some shape, maybe that'll help you. What does this thing look like, this Sabbath rest for the people of God, for these busy followers of Christ? Well, it kind of looks like what we're doing right here, right now. And what we do every time we gather. Man, we together draw near. We together hold fast. We together consider. What is this whole thing about, man? We're doing this thing, this Sabbath rest thing together because it's not done alone. It's not done alone. We live in a community that needs to hear this, people. And we live also among people just like the Hebrew church. This is not some new thing where people get out of the habit of gathering. That's as old as the Hebrew church. For 2,000 years, people have gotten out of the habit of gathering. Man, this is something our community needs to hear because our community has fallen to the lie that they don't need this. They don't need an us to draw near, an us to hold fast, an us to consider how to stir one another up to love. There's no one another. I'm okay with Jesus. I just don't need the us part.
I want you to know I could do this in pretty much every epistle, every letter. I could develop this in every letter. It doesn't have to say the Sabbath. This thought is, is in every letter. The book of Romans begins, the recipient of the book of Romans, the letter, to those in Rome who are loved by God and called to be saints, to saints all over Rome. Okay? And then there's 11 chapters of all that God has done for them in Christ. Those are called the indicatives, all these indicatives. God's done all these things, 11 chapters worth. And then in chapter 12, it says, I appeal to you, all you brothers that I wrote this letter to, starting back at the beginning of chapter 1, verse 7, all you brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living, singular sacrifice. How do we possibly do that if we're all a bunch of individuals going our own way, enjoying Christ? We together present ourselves as a living, singular sacrifice. You could do this in every epistle. It doesn't have to say the Sabbath where the principles, you see these principles emerge. We together hold fast. We together draw near. We together stir one another up to love and good works. I appeal to all you brothers all over the Roman Empire by the mercies of God to present, in light of what all has been written in the last 11 chapters, to present all your individual bodies as a living sacrifice. What does that look like? Again, look at your watch. Look around you. Look at your calendar. You're doing it. We're doing it right here, right now, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal, all you people. Do not be conformed, all you people. Be transformed by the renewal of your singular mind. How in the world does that play out? Well, it plays out right now, right here. Look around you. Look at your watch. Look at your calendar. How does this thing go down? How does the Sabbath apply for the people of God? The Sabbath is not about a day for us anymore. It's about a person. And the way the people of God enjoy and find and experience primarily and especially that person is together where we together hold fast where we together draw near where we together stir one another up to love and good works and that is traditionally since really christ left the tomb vacant on a easter the first dewy easter sunday morning that's been traditionally on something called the lord's day it's not about a day for us anymore it's about a person but the people of God have, since the beginning of the church, gathered on a day. And for us, as this church, it's called the Lord's Day. And we experience Him together. We hold fast together. We draw near together. We uh, stir one another up to love and good deeds together. On, for us, the Lord's Day, because it's the day that He triumphed over death for all of us. It's the day that he stepped out on a dewy ground, alive and well. Man, it's a fitting day since the beginning of the church for us to practice much of what takes place in this rest. In the supper, 
we dine with and on Christ. How do we experience him? Right here when we take the supper together. He's with us in the presence of the Holy Spirit. This moment is inhabited as we take the supper together. We have to believe there's something supernatural taking place. We have to believe that he's doing for his people what he did then. What he's doing for us now is he's giving us what we need. Rest. Nourishment as we rest in the supper. He gives us rest in the song. We're not going to a concert on Sundays. Listen to somebody else sing. There's nothing wrong with that, man. Knock yourself out. Man, we together are caught up in it. It's 4D for us, right? Four-dimensional. We're all in it, singing true things back to God about God. We find it in fellowship where we together draw near, where we together hold fast, where we together consider how to stir one another up to love and good deeds, and we find it in sermon. Week after week, we hear from the Lord through the preaching of his word. We together sit, me included, me included, or rather rest under and in the teaching and preaching of God's word. We are all resting together in this life-giving, weekly, equipping, mind-renewing message through a real, frail human being. That's how we do it. That's where we do it. That's when we do it. Now, there's a little disclaimer. There's some folks in some places in the world that can't gather on the Lord's Day. They have to gather on another day of the week, but they gather. That the uh, Arab calendar follows a different schedule. Your work day is, is different, and they gather on a day where they can gather. And for us, in the land of the free, we gather on the Lord's Day to walk out so many of the, these things that apply so beautifully in Sabbath. What does Sabbath rest look like? It looks like this. What we're doing right here, right now. This is where and how God gives busy, modern, modern followers of Christ rest. Let's pray. God, we are thankful that you give us rest. We need it. Gracious, we need it. I'm thankful that you um, provide it week after week. Lord, I pray that you would open our eyes to the gravity of what's taking place as we gather. I pray that you would uh, um, draw us away from what Satan wants to make of these moments as routine and mundane and insignificant and unimportant and optional. Lord, I am burdened. We are burdened for that. Um, contagious pandemic problem in our community of the notion that this thing this Sabbath finding, this Sabbath principle this Sabbath rest that we're finding together on the Lord's Day is just so optional in our community Lord I'm thankful that you've equipped us this morning with understanding why it's important I'm thankful that you're equipping us too to understand that we're finding rest even while we might be poured out Lord you have given us such absolute and perfect and complete rest in the person of Christ. We, in union with him, sit beside him with the work finished. We exhale together in Christ's precious name. Amen. I'm going to share a passage for the supper, and then I'm going to uh, invite you to come up to our tables here. They'll be manned by elders. Uh, the passage I want to share with you is in 1 Corinthians chapter 11. Give me a moment to turn there. 1 Corinthians chapter 11 has a pretty extensive treatment of the Lord's Supper. You know what's interesting about the Lord's Supper in the Corinthian church is what it says about this. It says, when you come together, it's not the Lord's Supper that you eat. 
you're not even taking the Lord's Supper. He says, you think you are. What's implied there is you think you are, but it's not the Lord's Supper at all. And here's why. For in eating, each one goes ahead with his own meal. You hear the individual emphasis in that? There's not a together in that. There's not a holding fast together in that. There's not a drawing near together in that. There's everybody doing their own thing. One goes hungry, another gets drunk. You do this thing over here, I'm going to do this thing over here. I'm going to take this over here, I'm going to take this over here. He says, what, do you not have houses to eat and drink in, or do you despise the church of God and humiliate those who have nothing? What shall I say to you? Shall I commend you in this? No, I will not. And then he gives them together as the Corinthian church the teaching on the centrality of the Lord's Supper. This is what we take together. This is where we find rest with the Corinthians of old, okay, with the faithful, hopefully responsive to this sermon, Corinthians. I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the night when he was betrayed took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. This is the same Lord that we began our morning and said, come to me all who are weary and heavy laden and I'll give you rest. He's giving them something to eat. You're going to give them something to drink. The same way also he took the cup after supper saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Man, I'm going to just... I'm looking forward to finding some rest in this meal. Are you? Rest from your work. Rest in his work that was expensive and bloody and final. Remember, he's seated. He's seated. Y'all come and take as we begin our song.